Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk with people who are living lives of purpose and doing amazing things that make a positive impact in our world. We take time to listen to them as they reflect on their life journeys and what has shaped them into who they are today and what motivates them to be involved in what they do. Well, kia ora, everyone, and welcome along to the podcast. I'm glad you could join me, as today we're going to be speaking with Matthew Button, who is the manager of Big Brothers Big Sisters Christchurch. Now, we have a fascinating conversation about the role of mentoring, not just for young people, but for all of us. I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. Just before we dive into it, a little request for those of you who are listening using Apple Podcasts. Did you know it only takes about 10 seconds to leave a rating or review in Apple Podcasts for this show? And apparently that helps with the algorithms of it being picked up and found by other people. I really appreciate it if you're able to do that. It's just at the bottom of your screen, there's a little place you can leave star ratings. Here's an example of one of the recent reviews. Amazing podcast. You really get to know the backgrounds of the people being interviewed, which really helps you understand the mission they're on. Stephen does an amazing job of creating an open-minded liberal arts atmosphere in his interviews. I listen to learn about the interesting people who are doing great things in Christchurch. I also learn how to conduct better conversations in my life. So thanks to Utu for you who left that review recently. There's also a lot more material at theseeds.nz, so you might want to check that out as well. Now let's get into this conversation with Matthew. All right, so it's a real pleasure to welcome Matt Button, who's the manager of Big Brothers Big Sisters. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. It's all right. Yeah, no, I'm really keen to find out about what you're doing here in Christchurch. And yeah. before we started recording, you know, we were talking about the numbers and, and the great work that's happening. Yeah. But before we get into that, I always love to find the backstory of people to kind yeah. of build up to why is it that you do what you do. Mm. So if you don't mind just telling us a little bit about where you're from. Brought up in Nelson predominantly and then moved to Christchurch when I was about 10 years old and um, through my dad's work we had to move around a, quite a bit mm-hmm. um, and so uh, it was constantly having to make new friends and uh, go to new schools. Mm-hmm. And What I, sort of work did he do? That uh, he's an Anglican be? vicar oh, Okay. Um, and so back in the I, I suppose um, 70s and 80s and even into the 90s regularly um, you'd only stay in a church for maybe two, three, four, five years and right. more recently it's become a long longer stints uh, so that required a fair amount of moving around mm-hmm. um, and what are your memories of the early days like Nelson 10 years old is old enough to remember right yeah so what you know like take us back to you know four and five years old like what sort of things did you enjoy yeah um, I always I've always loved um, cricket and sport um, I, I, I see cricket straight away because I have memories of uh, watching cricket with my grandparents, and um, and this is a Nelson, uh-huh. um, and uh, just loving playing cricket and watching it, uh, and football as well. Uh, my dad's English, and mm-hmm. so he uh, um, follows the Norwich. He's from Norwich, so we yeah, we enjoy following the football as well. So I, I had a great love of um, of sport, but also picked up um, music pretty young as well. I um, started my I've got two older brothers, and they learned the piano, um, and I felt a bit envious, so I just self-taught and eventually got lessons, but I remember teaching myself, and and, uh, and it's really interesting because, of course, um, I, I wonder both my brothers gave up piano, but I'm still playing and still love it, and, oh, right. and, and I picked up guitar since as well, so yeah. and play various instruments. So um, I wonder if that's yeah. partly because you wanted to do it you know, like yeah. the attitude of it, whereas That's like right. if your parents say, right, you're you're going to piano lesson, yeah. you must do it. It's quite a different thing from, well, I, I love the sound, I want to yeah. play. And yeah, it's an interesting thing you pick up there, that um, the idea of choice. And mm-hmm. um, one of the things about having a, 
um, father in the Anglican Church um, in terms of his job was there's a huge obligation that is associated with that, both on my mother as the vicar's wife um, and on my father in terms of all the things that they had to do. Mm. Um, the expectations um, from our you know, churches are full of, I'm going to call them volunteers or mm. people who aren't paid to be there, but they sort of feel quite invested in the place and they expect a lot from their from their leader yeah. as the paid person. Mm-hmm. And that, that idea of obligation is really quite interesting because... Uh, it, it, it impacted me mm. when I thought about how often my dad had to be there or had to be here um, and do this and do that. And, and as a young person, as a, as, as a son, um, feeling like maybe I missed out a bit on um, on hang, having good times with dad because mm. he always had to be doing stuff. Mm. Um, and that's really significant when I look, when I push that way there, forward. There is a lot of obligation in a way, isn't there? Like there's, there's going to be committee meetings on a Tuesday and there's exactly. going to be... I got to visit this person on a Thursday, and yep. there's a funeral tomorrow, so I got to prepare for it. That's like, right. There's yeah, a lot you involved, can't, isn't there? You can't really let people down. And, and Monday was his day off, which right. meant he was working the whole weekend. Right. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was a significant thing for me, um, and for my brothers actually, the sense that um, you know, maybe we'd, we wanted Dad to be around a bit more often than he was. Yeah. Um, and yeah. So does that tie in? Uh, well, let's get to it later. I wonder, yeah, you know, because because we're going to be talking about mentoring and yeah. having figures like that. Yeah, um, yeah, you can trace back that there was a big influence there. Because uh, I would think as well, you know, like a, a pastor, a minister, or something, they're kind of pouring out to the other people yeah. in the community. Yeah, and maybe sometimes it is hard to focus on your own family unit yeah I think that's probably um, fair again due to those sort of responsibilities or obligations elsewhere mm. um, and yeah it's quite difficult talking about your father um, in terms of saying he wasn't around as much as you wanted him to be because mm-hmm. um, I, I think he's a, a stellar performer like he's incredibly conscientious um, and so in one sense I don't want to um, bring him down by saying he didn't do a good enough job but I, and there's no doubt I just wish he was around more often when we yeah. were young and, uh, well, it's a statement of how much you loved and respected yeah, him, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but the nature of the occupation. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I can, I can see that. That's right. And the, and the stuff about obligation. The reason I say it's significant is because pushing right through into the rest of my life, mm-hmm. um, choice has been the idea of choice is very significant. Trying not to work out of obligation, but working with choice right. uh, in life. That's become a real theme of mine. The idea of um, why volunteering is a great thing mm-hmm. like you choose to volunteer mm-hmm. and so you look after your volunteers so they continue to be able to choose mm-hmm. um that their role not not feel obligated in their role or guilt you know guilt associated with the role but trying yeah. to free them from that and that that was something that um i felt very connected to yeah um as i moved um through my teenage years and then into my so, you know, I studied psychology, and mm. um, I think you're right as well. Just to pick up on that, yeah. and the way this format works is basically we go down all kinds of rabbit holes yeah, all sure. the time. Yeah. So, um, just picking up on that though about volunteering, like it just strikes me because I just volunteered at TEDx Christchurch, oh, yeah. so it's you know mm. an event, lots of people, wonderful yeah. event, mm. and um, if I'd been sitting in the audience. I wouldn't have experienced it the way that I did as a volunteer because yeah. I was there welcoming people. Hey, welcome to TEDx. Great yep. to see you. Come yep. over this way. And then I was in behind in the green room helping the speakers yep. before mm-hmm. they went on stage. So it was like I saw a side of the whole experience that I never would have if Very I hadn't different. put myself out there to volunteer. And yeah. um, I, I wrote a thing about it afterwards because it really struck me like 
I because I'd bought a ticket to go, but I think I got so much more by having volunteered by being involved and, in that way. Yeah, it's very different perspective, isn't it? You mm-hmm. see things quite differently. Yeah. Um, and again, um, that experience of yours is interesting to reflect on. You know, the choice that you made to do it that you you know you probably didn't have to do it. No. You probably put your hand up, which is what volunteering <laughs> kind of concept is. Um, but well, I'd actually gone so far as to buy a ticket to be there. Yeah, like, there I should go. have been in the seats. Yeah. But then I was reflecting and thinking, actually, it'd be kind of fun to help them out. And so yeah. I got in contact with Kyra, and, and that's what happens. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 it's quite cool. There's a real beauty in that, a, a real beauty in the idea of being able to give um, mm-hmm. a give of yourself and um, do it freely without mm-hmm. obligation. I think, you know, one of the, the challenges in life is there's so many, there's so many demands Um uh, on us, you know, in terms of uh, needs in our community, so many needs, mm-hmm. and uh, you, you know, you, you want to be able to think that you can make a free choice to do it, but the reality is sometimes you can feel guilted or obligated into mm-hmm. into volunteering, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, so I think it's a really significant. Um, I'm going to call it a gift in life when you can actually um, look past your obligations and, mm. and look to the things that you, you really choose to do. Now, of course, there are times where we all need to step up, like uh, earthquakes and you know, crisis when you just have to get involved regardless. Mm. But um, there, are, there are also other seasons when actually, no, I can make a choice here. I want to get involved in this, yeah. as you did with your yeah. TEDx. And actually, you know, it's the reverse as well. Make the choice not to get involved. Exactly. And... and and a good no yeah. is really important to be able to say a good no. I yeah, think. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I think that's um th- that's again a, a significant um, word for me. The word no in terms mm-hmm. of um, reacting against obligation is being able to say you might think I'm obliged to do this, but I'm going to say no because I have other. Yeah, you know, I choose to say no. Yeah. Regardless of how you might see me, if I say no, I choose to say no anyway. Yeah. Um, and again, looking way forward into mentoring, that becomes a significant part of that. How do we encourage our volunteers who say yes to also say no? Yes. Um, yeah. And we can talk about that further down the track. Yeah, that'd be good. I'll put in the, we have show notes to this. Yeah. Um, so I'll put a link to another episode I did recently. It's yeah. only about six minutes. Okay. And I called it um, Say No to Say Yes. Oh, right. Um, because the idea is if you, anytime you say yes to something, you're actually saying uh, no to something no to else because time is valuable, yeah, right? That's right? And that's right. and um, there's this wonderful proverb uh, from China, I think, which says, um, "If you chase two rabbits, you'll catch none." Right? Yeah, 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 <laughs> and I love that. You know, like there's yeah. opportunities are popping up. I got to do this. I got to do that. But there, you're not going to get anything if you can't be deliberate and that's strategic. Right. So, oh, there's so much. There's yeah. so much to do. Isn't so much. There? Yeah, so there is. Be, yeah, it's the art of saying no. It's a. It's a. Yeah. Yeah. It's an art to learn for all of us. Yeah. yeah. So coming back to your own life and yeah. taking us through, you mentioned you were moving. You were the new kid in school quite a lot. Like how 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 was that? Um, I I I remember um, being about six years old, I think, and um, uh, going to a school and uh, on the first day being in tears. Right. Um, and I remember being going to intermediate as well, um, early days, and finding that hard too. So I, I didn't I didn't see didn't find it easy um, those changes. Uh, and I think um, that again uh, informed me going forward this idea of. Um, I really love the idea of helping people to feel um, welcome and um, and known and not alone, um, and that that I think is fed from a mm. bit of that 
experience of moving quite a bit mm-hmm. um, as well as my teenage years and, and the stuff that I experienced there as well mm-hmm. so if I push through into those teenage years then I I I had some stuff as all of us would reflect down on our mid to late teenage years there's mm-hmm. stuff that goes down like you can't avoid it it's just life it happens and things that you don't um, have fond memories of and they're incredibly formative uh, and for me if I'm just to sum up without having to go into too much detail about the stuff that happened for mm-hmm. me um, it was all about feeling alone and abandoned um, and by myself and uh, and essentially um, you know I was at home I was well supported I did you know um, mum and dad were around we weren't short of money you know we, we had enough money to go around we I had older brothers who were pretty cool, um, but I and nevertheless I felt very alone, um, and uh, that that was a that's a horrible feeling. That's yeah. and that that time of probably two or three years of feeling like I basically just had to forge my own way in life. Um, again, it's been really significant mm-hmm. in terms of as I've gone forward, going how do I how do I help people to feel not abandoned, not alone, to feel known. Mm-hmm. Um, I still remember a guy talking it's, this is only about probably 15 years ago I remember him doing a talk and as he did this talk I remember him saying one of the most significant things in life is to feel known or feel that you're known and accepted for who you are mm-hmm. and it, it, it sounds trite doesn't it I mean it, it's the word you know, to be accepted for who you are just sounds like a, just a, a throwaway kind of thing there's nothing I mean that's the closest thing I, that is something completely true mm. is it is a great thing to feel known and accepted mm. and of course the complete flip is you know, the opposite that you, to feel abandoned is the, the, the for me and for many of us it's just the most awful experience in the world yeah um, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. When I do this podcast, there end up being echoes between people's interviews. Right. So I interviewed a guy named David Clifford relatively recently, mm-hmm. about two months ago. Yeah. He was actually a TEDx speaker. Uh-huh. And so I heard him talk, and oh, yeah. he was talking about education in the future yep. and what it would mean to actually look holistically at children. Yeah. Yeah. And we talked in that interview about the fact that the biggest gift that a child can be given by their family and their Mm. peers and support Mm. is knowing that they're accepted and knowing that they're loved you know like there is a place for you yeah and if you can get that right then all of the other stuff you know working on our multiplication tables and here's our spelling list like none of it matters if you can get that foundational stuff right and yeah so it really resonates with what you're talking about so foundational eh? and you know the all this all the new kind of um, neuroscience stuff coming out around um, early childhood and those first thousand days and all this stuff that we hear regularly recently mm. around attachment uh, is all saying that same thing you've got to get the the foundation attachments right which are giving those messages of nurturing and care yeah. um, that make you feel accepted and loved mm. and I, I experienced that like I, I I I definitely did like I it's not that I felt like I missed out on that and yet um, I still somehow as so many of us when we individuate through our teenage years from our parents mm. um, then we're kind of left in no man's land for a while going well who who uh, am I who am I <laughs> and can I support myself um, am I is my self talk okay that I'm okay is my self talk I'm okay or is my self talk I'm not okay mm-hmm. and my self talk was I'm not okay right I, I'm I'm a bad person or um, I'm a weak person mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah so that was that became really so was formative. this sort of 
end of high school time that yep. this was going on? Yep. yep, I would say end of high school through to pr- probably um, 16 through to about 18, mm-hmm. those years, yeah, so going into the university yep. um, years. Um, yeah. And what time. was it that helped you sort of move past that? Or um, Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. It's a good question because I feel like there's stuff that happened then that helped me to move through it, but actually... Probably more recently, I've moved through it more okay. than back then. Yeah. But I think that um, in terms of this word, I, I like to use the word redemptive process. Like there is a kind of a fixing up of things that mm-hmm. ha- um, that happens slowly over time. It's not an overnight type thing. Mm-hmm. And so I think the nature of what I decided to do with my life was where that started to change. Right. Um, I would just throw in here that when, as well as the my vocation and the work I've done and study, mm-hmm. that there um, was a really key person um, in my early 20s. Um, uh, he was a guy, uh, was probably 70 or so, I suppose he was, at, um, 60s when I knew him well. And I'd just go around and see him every couple of weeks and we'd hang out for a, an hour or two and just talk. Um, and what I think was so remarkable about him was simply that he showed me that even at his age um, there are a lot of struggles and battles, internal battles and and conflict and doubt within himself that for some reason, even being in my early 20s, I just assumed adults had it sorted in their head and that my head was way too much in conflict and too much self-doubt. But to have someone at that other end of life... um, To be vulnerable with you and share openly... That's the word. It's, it's vulnerability. He was extremely vulnerable with me. and um, In fact, here's a classic. It's just a little memory which I, I just loved about this guy, and I think it also echoed some of who I was, mm-hmm. was he um, He would say he, he loved Elvis Presley hmm. um, and the old record player. He'd put Elvis Presley on um, every now and then, and when he did, he, he'd just start weeping. He'd just like, he just so loved the music. It, like it was it, it just all his emotion just came poured out when really? he listened to Elvis Presley. <laughs> now, I never had that experience, but I think that's that, some of that vulnerability that you know he was an open man right um he was willing to cry in front of you right willing to cry in front of me he'd cry in front of me regularly um and yeah that was really significant for me just that kind of message yeah so how had you met him what was the yeah through initial relationship church yeah so the church that i was involved with at the time and um actually had a lot of my friends who had had come through youth group and um, at my church together and had kind of moved away and um, out of the out of the city out of the country and there just seemed to be very few um, of my supports left um, and so that's where so did he, he sort of take up. take you under his wing yeah kind of not thing? not intentionally by right. any mean um, I think I was drawn to him before he was drawn to me in that way but mm. um but it was really significant Paul was his name and um, yeah yeah I, just, I, I can't really actually entirely recall how we kind of got underway i think i think even seeing him at church he he had the most terrible singing voice in the world <laughs> he'd be singing these songs in church and um monotone like just terrible absolutely awful <laughs> voice we could stand next to him and I'm like, oh dear paul what a terrible voice but singing with all his heart you know right. i just love that this yeah. idea of being able to have no um shame um and not looking around him and going off flap i've got a 
crap voice, but instead yeah. just giving everything um, and uh, and being vulnerable in front uh, around the people. Yeah, uh, around them. And Sounds I'm like a great guy. That. I love that. You know, put on some Elvis Presley and start to cry. <laughs> That's right. There's just so That's little cool. that was that that um, that would draw you to him though. Yeah, in, in, in so many ways. Um, and I, again, that's a great thing. Mm. So have. what was the biggest thing that you learned from him, do you think? Uh, as I say, I think it's predominantly around um, that we all have um, burdens within us, mm-hmm. um, challenges and struggles within us, um, and no one's got it sorted out. Mm. I often think that, and particularly in the last 10 years when the Facebook images and the you know social media, the reality is that that person's life is probably not as good as their profile picture, you know, and, and sometimes we, we, um, we assume too much. Yeah. And the reality is that all of us have something that's going on, whether it's a health thing or a family that's thing right. or a work thing that's or, a, and yeah. to, to be in the, it, to be human with each other yeah. is to recognize that and to really listen to people, isn't it? To, to be open to those conversations. You've just summed up why I really find Facebook, why well, I'm not really on Facebook very often. I mean, I'm not yeah. saying I'm not on there at all, but I'm not on there much at all. And I've got, I don't follow people other than my family and, mm-hmm. um, and, a, and a very few friends um, for that reason. I, uh, yeah, I think, um, y- yeah, well, Authentic living mm. is about being vulnerable with one another and um, sharing the the great successes as you always see on Facebook, but also there, mm. um, sharing the trials and um, yeah. But that's maybe part of the new the new generation will be part of it is being vulnerable on Facebook. Like I've I've seen some people right. share some of their yeah. deep things, sure. and yeah. it's like you know they get way more likes than the beautiful photo on the, on you know like. Yeah. This isn't working, and I'm not sure what to do next. Yeah. You know, yeah. like it, people connect with that, don't yeah. they? Yeah, they really do. They do. Mm. Well, ultimately, we're, we're relational creatures. So yeah, it's yeah. yeah. So just talk us through. Then um, we, we're we're doing well. We're up to your early twenties, I think. <laughs> did, <laughs> yeah. did, had you known what you were going to study, you know, at university? Uh, well, type of thing, it's or kind what? of interesting actually. Through high school, I'm, I was definitely good at maths and accounting, and okay. um, and it seemed pretty clear to me that accounting was a good way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were eight o'clock lectures, eight a.m. lectures at university, and that was enough to put me off. Um, <laughs> so I gave up account the accounting thing, and because of having such a tumultuous time through then. I also picked up psychology. I was kind of interested in it, but not mm-hmm. sure where to go with it. Yeah. Um, and I also want to do forestry as well, which is a bit random. But anyway, so everything else kind of eventually just paled away and it ended up just being psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, I found mys- myself more interested in the material um, and yeah, and stayed with it because it was relevant to me exactly where I was at that time. Right. Um, it, I so you were self-diagnosing. Huh? <laughs> I was. Yeah, particularly, particularly the stuff around... Um, developmental and social psychology. I found that fascinating, the, yeah. the nature of dynamics of people and how they relate to each other. And mm-hmm. so that became my, my thing. And I went through and did a master's degree. And my thesis was all about the costs and benefits of adolescent friendships, hmm. uh, which uh, interestingly was exactly you know some of the stuff that I'd struggled with yeah. you know, over the years. And so that yeah, became very relevant, even though it was a, a you know, to be honest, it was a pretty shoddy thesis. I'm not really very good academic <laughs> writer. But um, at the same time, um, I think it was a quite cathartic. Um, and that led very naturally then for me to, to then go and do some youth work um, following that, to want to work with young people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew it, I was really clear, I wanted to help them um, know that we all have problems 
and we have issues and struggles in life and that we just don't have to do them alone. Mm. It's, it was as simple as that. And um, so I thought somehow in the work that I'm doing, I want to be able to work alongside young people and build relationships with them and help them to experience not being alone mm. um, and to know that you know they can be honest. So so I can even think back to a, a funny thing that I said to my youth group once um, when I was trying, you know, being vulnerable with them. I said, you know, I know when I get stressed because in my 20s I'd get uh, boils on my neck Hmm. And they would they would come up when I was stressed, but when I wasn't stressed, they weren't there. And I had sort of picked and noticed this, and I remember telling my young people this, and so it kind of became a, a long-standing joke with them. Whenever they saw boils on my neck, that I'm stressed again. But I, I love that. I love that. Um, I was able to offer them these kind of doors and openings of what. Look at your own body. Look at what's going on with your body. Hmm. Are you? Are there? If you've got stress signs, are there things that might pop up for you? Triggers for you? Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that. So I got into running a. This uh, youth group in a church for about eight years, right? Um, and so that's a direct link to the um, the the study that you've done. You know, like this yeah. is day to day dealing with young people, and your thesis has been on young people. So that's right. that must have been quite satisfying as well to take the academic study and have it be reality. Very much so. Very yeah. Much so. Um, yeah, that's right. And I think the the beauty of it was that you you had the opportunity in a youth group setting to week by week just hang out with young people and mm. and just do stuff together play games together um, uh, have good yarns eat together uh, and just you know just to ask good questions on get them thinking get them mm. reflecting you know obviously from a church perspective we you know, faith perspective we're wanting to develop and grow their faith and get them to think about issues of faith mm. um, well it comes back to this fundamental who are you and why do you think what right. you think it which does. is what you'd gone through as well yeah what we've all gone through it to, but to be there to support people yeah 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 walk alongside them through that some of that journey and just just getting them reflecting um was was one of my goals in my work was mm. you know i don't have to kind of move or change people but just to get them to reflect on who they are and to get them honest about who they are mm. and that kind of authentic um experience of i know who i am and i can express who i am um, mm-hmm. be who i am sort of thing even yeah. if it's in these struggles and battles within that yeah I'm okay with that yeah mm-hmm. can i ask you a question because i don't think i've had someone who studied psychology you yeah. know to a master's level mm. when you reflect on you know you probably looked into the past and the history of psychology and yeah. some of the early you know i'm thinking freud yep. and mm-hmm. I, I'll get the names from Jung and, and, and yep, all, yep, all these people. Yep. Were there any people that really stood out at you as like they were the real pioneers who did amazing things? Yeah, um, the the first thing I'd say is the opposite um, is that there was a you know a, quite a strong movement at the University of Canterbury uh, down the behaviorism side. So Skinner, um, uh, the, the behavioral psychologist, I was very resistant to this this idea of conditioning and positive negative. Uh, reinforcement and punishment, all these kind of words. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I found them so unhelpful. I was really resistant to that um, and much more uh, open to some of the uh, Freudian, Jungian type stuff. I, I, I felt resistant to that too on some level. I think I was somehow anti-sexual stuff. I was like, no, he's too sexual. Well, it's sexualized, surely. I mean, I really didn't know. I was, I was young and you know, very early in my um, academic kind of career. I didn't really know what I was doing. But I felt um, more affinity to that, um, and so uh, yeah, I'd say I'd, I'd see uh, Freud definitely as definitely as um, uh, a real pioneer, and, and Jung. I've certainly Jung's one that I've come to really enjoy 
uh, as life's gone on. Mm. Um, but through university, the, the one that um, meant the most to me was a guy called Erickson, Eric Erickson. He did mm. talked about the stages of, of life development. Okay. And he talked about that at different stages of life, we have to learn certain stuff. And he called it a crisis. It's not crisis as we might look at it, but a crisis that might be like, identity versus isolation might be through your sort of teenage years are you going to be isolated or you're going to build an identity and and you have to try and get through that crisis and grow and learn from there Mm -hmm. Um, and there's different ones right through the lifespan and I found them really fascinating I really like that idea that actually there are different stages of life um, there's there's stuff to learn all the way through life Mm. to grow with so yeah I found that really uh, and that really formed um, a lot of my thinking when I was doing my thesis as well, a lot right. of Ericsson's thinking around, you know, when I was looking at adolescent friendships, I was thinking with the, the framework of um, Eric Erickson mm-hmm. um, underneath it. So. so is that kind of like stages of life it that is. as you move through, there's there's new things to learn? That's and, right. You know, that, yeah, right. Yep, and as I say, it's, it's put in the sense of a crisis that you're either, um, I, I, I wish I could remember them all, but mm. even right through the very early stages, you know, like the first year of life and three to five, different, there's different crises going through, then, and then a childhood one, then a uh, teenage one, and then going mm. into early adulthood, mm. um, all about relation, into intimacy versus something mm. I look up. Well, the, yeah, that. I mean, the, the common one that people would talk about is midlife crisis, right? Yeah, like yeah. you kind of, yeah. halfway through your career, it's yeah. like, what am I doing? Why? why am I doing this? You yeah. know, um, which, which is, I think, I think there's some truth to that. You yeah. know, I, for me anyway, yeah. I studied mm-hmm. law at Canterbury and mm-hmm. then I became a lawyer. Yeah. And then after quite a long time of doing the type of law that I was doing, yeah. it was very much a, am I happy with this? You know, I'm, I'm helping yeah. these rich people That's right. make more money. Is this yeah. really how I want to spend my time? And, yeah. And then for us, it was like, what country are we in? We were living in Sydney. Yep. It was like we want to get back to New Zealand. So it was a it was quite a formative moment of moving country, switching yep. job, having yep. a different focus in my career of, yeah. of what I was doing. I, I had I would say I had the same experience, and I and I'd use the language of it being the journey inward. Um, that um, I think the first um, twenty years of your career, you you, you can you can potentially see yourself as being quite external, seeking mm. external rewards, still trying to find your place mm. um, in the world. And you may have already found it, but it, it's it's more external. And then as, as life goes on, you go, actually, those things that externally are rewarding are not actually deeply rewarding. Yeah. And um, and so, you know, there's going inward and finding what are those things that are more internally rewarding. Yeah. And for you, it could be doing these Doing these podcast. things right now, yeah. like Why that's <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. You might get a lot more sense of reward from this than the yeah than the pay packet or yeah whatever. It well, just be. to echo that, um, the way I've had it, I've read about it is it's CV qualities in the first half of your life. It's like I'm I got this degree and I'm mm. really good at this and this and mm. I, I'm a computer programmer or whatever. You know, yeah. like look at me type of things. You know, like qualifications. Yes. And then the second half of life. Um, or, you know, it's, it's a different focus, but it's yeah. when people are giving my eulogy, you know, what are the qualities? Like, they're not right. going to say he was really good at Excel, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's, exactly. it's going to be, yeah. he was hopefully kind, yeah. generous, yeah. helped others, you know, like yeah. and that ultimately all the other stuff that's in your CV, they're not going to read that stuff no. out at your funeral so it's that priorities as well isn't it it is and then once you realize that what are you focusing on with your life that's right that's right yeah yeah Mm. Mm. so you're doing that um working with the church and youth groups and things and then just bring us up to speed in terms of the work you're doing now and yeah i'd love to hear about 
what what exactly you're doing yep. and yeah mm. so the transition was really quite interesting and it's relevant the transition so doing doing youth work in the church is a lot of group work um and i found that um standing up in front of groups talking to them i i, I could do it again it's a little bit kind of like first half of life mm. material of mm. i can deliver this but i don't find it very I don't enjoy it particularly and can find it quite stressful. Mm-hmm. The work I found the most rewarding was the one-to-one relational work that I might do with a small group of young people. Right. And I mean small group as in individually with about five or six of them mm-hmm. working with them. And so that really spurred me to think, I know what I want to do next. And a, a guy got in touch with me and said, we're starting up a like a little pilot mentoring program at Breen's Intermediate over in the northwest of Christchurch. Mm-hmm. And we're just getting a few people who just did mentor one child each. And um, so we... we went down and I was in my in my role still as a youth worker and I got called down to the school and the principal was there and she said okay um uh great okay so look there's this kid here who's got a problem this one and this one so Matt you have that one Paul you have that one that my mental guy here to avoid and 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 you have one um here's the phone number uh, where you go, I'm like, well, what, what, what are we being asked to do here? <laughs> um, and, and essentially, it was mentoring, but I didn't really. Uh, there wasn't much training or nothing, background. <laughs> nothing, like nothing. Yeah. And of course, back in that day, no police checks or anything. Was, there was nothing. It was just go for it. Yeah. Um, and after about nine months, in fact, there were about six or eight of us who initially signed up. But by the time we got to the end of the first year, there was only me left, and um, all the rest had dropped away. And it's no, I'm not claiming any that I was particularly special it's just that I was paid to do it um, and so it was easier for me to sustain it but the mm. other ones other guys had no support and even the people running this thing they'd, they'd dropped off they had a new person take it over and they dropped off so there was no one running it <laughs> it was a joke <laughs> um, but by the end of that year I really started to um, even though the mentoring I didn't find hugely rewarding I knew that this is what I wanted to move forward with and mm. so um, out of interest there was a local research study done into the youth needs in the northwest of Christchurch, and someone um, said, "Well, one of the well so from the upshot of that was someone saying we need a mentoring program for boys, um, particularly." And uh, and so the city council put up a little bit of funding, and mm. and away we went from there and uh, started this trust, which was initially initially called the Northwest Mentoring Trust, um, and with a goal of saying helping young people through transitional stages, providing the support for them. Um, providing those sort of relationships, but they're all the all those words out there, you know, mm-hmm. at the top that you can sort of peel off. At the heart of it, and, and this never changed. It's about kids being accepted and known, and feeling that someone cares about them. Like mm-hmm. it, you don't need to go any further than mentoring. Mm-hmm. We can look at outcomes. We can think about all the great things down the track that kids who are mentored might get because they've had a mentor. And we've got stories of that. But I could go and talk to a child today who's got a mentor, and the most significant thing I see is a smile on their face when they're talking about their mentor and that that young person feels known. And There's accepted. a real impact, isn't there, that they're having? At, at, at a very foundational mm. level, mm. yeah. Not necessarily one as tangible that you can say, look, I can see how they're doing better here, here, and here, mm-hmm. but you you know that they feel that there's something they're feeling, there's something they know, yeah. something relational, yeah. That's why that's that's why I wanted to set it up, um, and I wasn't the only one to set it up, but that's why I've, I've been involved since then. Mm. Uh, so how's it developed since then? Yeah, and and what's the relationship with 
Big Brothers Big yeah, so, how, how does that work? Yeah, so after about three years, we realised we were getting volunteers um, from all over the city coming uh-huh. to do mentoring in the northwest of town, and that just seemed stupid. Mm. Um, so we then uh, affiliated with Big Brothers Big Sisters mm. and, um, and, and then started to mentor all across the city. So Big Brothers Big Sisters started in 1905, okay. so about 115 years old. Um, just about the same age as Rotary, actually, actually exactly the same age. Both came out of American cities, and both were started by lawyers. Mm. Um, and in this case, a guy called Ernest Coulter saw like all these uh, boys coming through court, um, and the consistent theme was that they mm. didn't have a father. Mm. And so, <clears throat> so he got a whole lot of lawyers to step up and to mentor one boy each, and the movement kind of started from there. And then about a few years later, the Catholic nuns started up a, a equivalent thing for girls. And it came together as big brothers, big sisters, and um, then came to New Zealand about 1997, 1998, and it's kind of grown across the country from there. Mm-hmm. Um, so is it, uh, that was going to be a question of mine, so yeah. is it in most of the big centres, or where is it spread in yeah, New Zealand? Yeah, it's not in Dunedin, I guess we're backwards, it's 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 not in Dunedin, it's not in Tauranga, um, but I would say it's in every other um, city of, oh actually it's not in Tim, Timaru either, but other mm-hmm. than that it's in most of the cities mm-hmm. with populations greater than 50. Thousand and it's got it's also in a lot of small centres like uh, Westport and Greymouth and, mm-hmm. and other very small centres have got it as well. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of get what it's about based on what you described in yeah. terms of what you're seeking, yep. which is to yep. really give the the, the kids yep. a sense of identity and a chance to be themselves and yeah. things. But just talk us through what it is sort of yeah. on a practical yep. level. Like what are the people actually exactly. doing? Yeah. So essentially, it's about uh, a volunteer mm-hmm. um, from the community age eighteen up being matched with a child from our city who uh, has got sort of, I'm going to say, low in confidence, low in self-esteem, probably coming from some sort of background that means they don't have many opportunities in life mm-hmm. um, and it may not have many friends. And so the two, we match them up and that's part of our organisational role is to both take the volunteer through a process to get them on board and trained and get the right sort of young people using schools and social workers around the place to find those children. Right. So we have a list of the mentors and a list of the children and then we match them up one by one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once a week they see each other, they catch right. up together. So some of them see each other in a school setting. They'll actually go into the mentor, go into the school and hang out for an hour. Mm-hmm. But most of them, um, so we've got about 150 and probably 130 of them actually see them after school evenings and weekends and they'll do out do outings together. I see. And the outings can be really simple. Um, go to the park. Mm-hmm. Um, Margaret Mahi Park is very popular. Mm-hmm. Going to the museum. Uh, just going out for a coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, going so what beach. sort of ages are the children? Like what, what range yep. are they? So the children start between 6 and 12. Okay. And the goal of that is, uh, there's, a cu- there's a couple of things around that. One is you want to get in early um, to have, the, have a good chance of having a good long relationship and a, and a significant impact. Mm-hmm. The second thing is there's, a, there's an opening in the young people around the age of 10, 11, 12, 19, 11, 12, when mm-hmm. they're, they're just starting to open up. Their brain goes through a different stage of it, development then. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and of course, if they kick, move it to puberty, there's this quite a lot of changes there. It's a really good time to get a mentor yeah. involved during that stage. It's, it's interesting because I thought you were going to say they're aged... 14, 15, 16, you know, like a, a older age, I guess is well, what I mean. But, yep, so they but start, 6 to 12, that's, that's, where they that's start. young. That's where okay. they start. Right. Yep. Yeah. And they can go on for as long as they want to go on ah, to. That, they stay within Big Brothers Big Sisters up to potentially the age of 18, uh-huh. um, and then they kind of do their own thing after that. So um, our goal, as I say, is in the ideal world, 
someone starts when the child's about eight, eight or nine, mm-hmm. and they're still going when they're twenty. Wow. Um, but that, I mean, you know, that's a long, a long time, and yeah. a lot of our matches don't go anywhere near that distance. But yeah. uh, so the commitment, it, it sounds like it's mainly a weekly get together, or. It, when when people sign up as a volunteer, we ask them to sign up to do it weekly for one year. Okay. And then after that, we just open it up and say, well, we would love to see you with this young person for a long time, mm-hmm. but it needs to be sustainable. Mm-hmm. And so this is where this comes back to this idea of obligation and guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, that It's really important that volunteers at that point take ownership and go, do I want this to continue? And if I do... This is my mentoring of this child. So how am I going to make that sustainable? Mm-hmm. That might make be making it fortnightly. Um, it might mean that they bring them home for dinner quite regularly. Is it instead of just going out and doing outings, they're going to have to have dinner anyway. So simplifying it that way, or it might yeah. be like I've got to go and do the grocery shopping. So help pick them up, and they can come grocery shopping for mm-hmm. me this week. So it's not just about entertaining the child; it's about them becoming part of your whanau, um mm-hmm. and uh, becoming part of your world, mm-hmm. uh, so that you can sustain it for the long term yeah. and keep making your mentoring about giving, not about obligation and guilt. It's a a challenging one because you can imagine if you've mentored a child for a couple of years, you build a really good relationship with them and you've been doing it, say, weekly for that time. And then you're like, oh, um, I'm really starting to feel the pressure at work. I don't know whether I can do weekly, but I I don't want to let them down. I've been doing this. Oh, I've got this relationship with them. I don't want to let them down. Mm. I'll keep doing weekly. And you can see the pressure building and the guilt and the obligation. I've got to keep doing this. So again, part of my staff's role um, with the volunteers is to say to them, hey, look, just just chill out. It's okay. Mm. Let's back it off. Let's make it less regular. We want this to go the long term. Um, and we don't want you to feel obligated. We mm. don't want you to feel good. We want you to be giving, making a choice about this volunteering. Mm. That's why you signed up. Mm. You wanted to do something positive. Let's try and keep it that way for as long as we can. Mm. Yeah, there's lots oh, of seasons in the mentoring, like yeah. the seasons of I don't want to do this, I'm over it. And other times where it's just great, you get great feedback from the young person or you help them through a really challenging stage in mm. life. Mm. But other times it's it's mundane as in any relationship that we have and we try and again train people to not feel like their relationship has to be super good all the time. That's not realistic. Mm. Yeah. And you mentioned training that you didn't get the first time you were starting out. <laughs> so what describe the training that you give to people now. Yeah. Because I'm really always really curious about oh. that to unlock for the listeners, even yeah. if they never become a mentor or anything, yep. but just to help people yep. to learn. Because the point is everyone's got nieces or nephews a neighbor somebody down the road like we all have a potential role as a mentor don't we so i'm just curious what are the key messages that you're getting in as these are the key things as a mentor yeah there's two two things about the training that i really want to say the first is this that we build our program around this research study um which has become known as the resilience research study it's a longitudinal study done in, in hawaii they um it was a 40-year study from 1959 to 1999 and they checked in with these children um, and see to see how they gone on in life and a whole lot of children had a really tough start mm. and really interestingly they a lot of them still did well in life which was a was a pleasant surprise to the researchers that even if they had a really tough start they did well and so what the research did was to look into why um why have these young people who've had such a tough start still done well? What is it about their life? And they worked out what they called resilience factors, um, the things that help the young person in the face of a tough start to still do well. Mm-hmm. And um, they're really 
exciting but within that research as far as I'm concerned is that normally when we think about a, a young person having a tough start in life that we think that we might be able to predict their future from there and the, this research says that about one to two times out of four and it would 25 to 50 percent of the time you might guess their future right based on how they've started in life mm-hmm. but the resilience research said if you look at these other factors if you can see about these other things you can you can 50 to 80 percent accurately um, estimate how they're doing so despite how they start and the tough challenges they have in life if you can put these resilience factors in there then you you can do well and these resilience factors are loosely um, categorized as internal things like independence self-worth um, uh, being motivated to learn generosity uh, a bunch a bunch of things and then a bunch of external things including um, encouraged to participate encouraged to be good at things uh, good at anything it's something um, encouraged to go to school uh, in close relationships so that by that they mean like a, a range a broad range of relationships um, grandparents uncles aunties communities and the last one is nurture and so what the research sort of said was that you you put these resilience factors in and you can and a young person can do well even mm. if they have a really tough start and so mentoring fits in really nicely with those external factors you know, we're encouraging the, a young person to participate in mentoring. They don't have to. But when they meet together once a week, the young person helps to choose what you're doing together. It's very uncommon for a young person to experience a time where someone's saying to them, hey, what do you want to do for this next hour? This is your time. They, they love that. Right. Um, they're encouraged to go to school by their mentors. Um, they're encouraged to be good at things. And it could simply be that their mentor just picks up on one thing that they see a young person doing well, even saying thank you or... Um, just even how they might wash mm. the dishes or... Just a positive reinforcement from an external <laughs> source, right? Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. Exactly. Really, really significant for them in terms of the messages yeah. that they can get about their self-worth that is built up around someone mm. saying that they're good at things. And I think that's really significant that our young people, are they all build their confidence through the mentoring. And I'm absolutely convinced it's because this mentor is affirming, giving them positive messages about the things they are good at. Mm. But more particularly, again, the confidence from just that mentor just turning up. And this is the nurture. Young people experience nurture by an adult consistently, regularly turning up. Right. So when we train our volunteers, we say to them, the best thing you do for a young person is to offer them nurture. The best way you do that is regularly, consistently turn up. Mm. And they just value that so much and they mm. feel special having this adult there. That's the first thing we tell the volunteers. The second thing is is really interesting as well. It's about the idea of expectations. That with mentoring, we really believe that we're not there to fix a young person. We're not there to change their life as such. We're simply there to create an atmosphere, um, a context in which that young person can grow in a healthy and normal way. Mm. We all we all grow well um, in the right context, and um, so you just need to try and create that context for them. You don't have to get in there and try and fix and change them so we say to our volunteers just be really careful around any expectation you might have of mentoring this kid and thinking that you're going to be you're going to solve all their problems or you're going to help to fix them or fix them up um they may be able to do that but i look at my life and i think how easy is it for someone to come into my life and fix and change my life i'm a key player in that equation like Mm. it doesn't matter how good you might do your job Mm. i'm a key player so it's unrealistic for us to expect 
ourselves to be able to fix or change a young person. But yeah. we can create a caring, nurturing place for them to find themselves and to to explore the world and to to try things and to have you know to yeah. It's as simple as that for me. Mm. Just just be really mindful mm. of any expectations. So, so turn up, be present, encourage. Right. That's what I'm hearing, That's and it. I. I I agree. <laughs> um, I it's just so valuable, yeah. and the thing that that strikes me is you know that, that for for a young person to be given those positive reinforcements, yeah. it comes back to what we were talking about at the start. You know the um, that you belong, yeah. you you are important. Yeah, that's what that's what ultimately it's about, that's, isn't it? That's the foundation. And, and I guess yeah. that takes a bit of the pressure off of the mentors as yeah. well, like because I can imagine it would be, if these kids come from difficult circumstances, yeah. it would be a, a, a potentially an emotional, like, uh, yeah. uh, you know, like I, if if they have difficult situations, like right. taking it on board themselves. But if the, it's viewed as, well, I'm yeah. feeding in here the best I can, then... Yeah. You're, yeah, you're exactly right. And again, it goes back to this obligation and responsibility and right. guilt thing that, you know, what is, you know, if you look at all the really horrible things that may be present in a young person's life, mm-hmm. um, you're probably quite powerless to do a lot about it, particularly mm. if it's stuff around their home life or things like that. It might be a, a family with a lot of drugs around. Mm. You can't actually, as a mentor, do much about mm. that. And so you, if you weigh that too much on your own shoulders as something to sort, you're not going to be able to keep doing it. Mm. You've got to keep seeing yourself as a as a gift in a sense. I keep giving myself for this time once a week mm. to be there with this young person. Mm. It's not there's nothing kind of really magical about what that's achieving. You're just consistently regularly turning up. Yeah. And that's what you offer. Because um, what we know is the kids, as you say, they're so variable mm. in terms of their backgrounds. So you might have a really outst- what we might call a really outstanding character with a really difficult child who makes no progress as the world might see it right. in terms of fixing them. Yeah. And then you might have a child who ha- makes great leaps and bounds and the mentor is just, just not doing a lot. Mm. So you can't gauge the success of the mentor mm-hmm. on the success of the child. Yeah. We have to measure our success as volunteers on our ability to regularly, consistently turn up and mm. be present and be encouraging. Mm. That's the goal. And, and I think as well, you know, thinking back to the guy who influenced you, yeah. you know, like it might be decades yeah. that you find out for this child that everybody kind of wrote off and thought there was no impact. Yeah. And then you find out 30 years from now yeah. and they look back on their life and they reflect yeah. and they think, you know what? Those sessions, even for that one year when I yeah. was nine years old, yeah. that had a profound uh, impact. And yeah. the person who was the mentor may maybe no longer even around, you know. Exactly. Like, but you won't know the impact mm. in a easily tick the box financial sort of way until you know a long time from now. That's that's a, a real challenge to so many social service groups mm-hmm. is the fact that the work that we do is not necessarily able to be easily um, measured because of the unknown long-term nature of it. We just don't know. It's, mm. too, it's too hard to study mm. um, unless you have the phenomenal amounts of money to do these longitudinal research studies. Mm. Um, but no, you, you're right. You, you ne- never quite know. And there's a really great um, phrase that, in fact, there's two really great phrases that come out of the States in terms mm. of mentoring, uh, the Big Brothers, Big Sisters. One of them is this idea of starting something, they say, with mentoring. Actually, what you're doing is you're just starting something. 
you have no idea whether you're starting it in their life or your own life even, mm. um, but you're starting something and you don't know where it's going to go. But mm. don't worry about where it's going. Just know that by getting involved in doing this volunteering that you could just start something mm. in this young person's life. I just highlighted there the idea that it might be starting something in a volunteer's mind as well. Mm. Volunteers get a huge amount out of mentoring um, and some of them do a lot of personal growth and development through it. Many of them see poverty for the first time in their lives and they and they have to deal with the fact that they are powerless to be able to change this child's life in one sense, but they can give them a break, a rest from that, that challenging life mm. um, and give them something that they really love. Mm. Um, so they can do that. So um, it's a hugely rewarding experience for them and almost all of them tell us, when I came into this, or they use this sort of language, when I came into this, I thought I was doing this for the young person, um, and now I realise I seem to get. I wonder whether I get more out of it than the mm. young person does. Gives a different perspective, right? It's a and sometimes we need that as adults too. Oh, we get into the rhythms of life and things. Yeah. What yeah. we'll do is in the show notes, we'll put some links so that people who are interested can click and find out more. Okay. And yeah, I presume there will be a Facebook page ah, and yeah, a, all, all that stuff. stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but the the other thing that really strikes me for the people who are listening whether or not they end up being involved in this Mm. is who are those young people in your life that you could reach out to and you could be the mentor for. And it might be that kid next door who's Mm. kind of annoying and keeps throwing the ball over the fence. But you could be consistently talking with them and how's it going? How's school going? And then the other thing is the flip side of all this is that each of us probably could do with some mentors, Mm. whether you're eight or 38 yeah. or 68 yeah. <laughs> and and i think that's something that our society doesn't value enough yeah and so it's good to emphasize it like for me i've got at least three people who i would consider mm-hmm. mentors who are yeah. above me yep. um who some of them know like i've told them mm-hmm. I, I want this relationship i yeah. need you to call me you know ask me how i'm actually doing yeah and also then you know who below me can i be yeah. that mentor for well it's interesting you, you've talked about being a little bit intentional with yourself mm. and being able to name them mm-hmm. you know and and i've been able to do the same for myself in terms of name people who are in that role mm. but as you say it's not that common for people to do that and i think as you say um the really grounding thing for this for for people listening is not so much even our program because it may be out of reach for them to be able to do volunteering but as you say is that reflection in your own life about about the up and down Mm -hmm. and the different sorts of mentors that we might want as well in our own lives like um, you can have mentors around different parts of your life of course I mean I know that's obvious but um, making sure there is someone who you can be vulnerable with Mm. and and can be honest with that I think that's the critical one Um, Mm. because again when we go back to these foundations we're talking about uh, is there a place where we don't have to hide where we can just be ourselves yeah. um, and we don't feel like we've got to cover up some of the things that we might be a bit ashamed about. We can yeah. say them. Now, we, we maybe not be 100% open with people. I think that's a, you know, it's hard to hide you know, our yeah. darkest thoughts. We may not want to share, but you know what I mean, the idea. That I we, get it, yeah. yeah. And, you know, the answer, how are you, the most common question, answer I hear is, I'm really busy, you know. Yeah. Oh. And it's I hate that answer because oh. there's so oh. much that we so. can talk about there. But, you know, there's always something, like we said before, there's something going on underneath, there and 
if you can be open and talk about it, then you know it's got to be a good thing. It starts with um, it starts with that being vulnerable yourself, doesn't it? And you know, that's interesting you talk about that question because I agree that's the most frustrating answer. Is I'm busy, and mm. I I love to throw back at people, and as you might be the same, to say, oh, you know, I'm not not so busy at the moment. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> just to confuse them, like, oh, well, that well, that yeah. must be different. Yeah, um, <laughs> but to be able to also say it's um, you know, when you are struggling, rather than saying I'm busy, which just seems like a, almost a shutdown, doesn't it? Because mm-hmm. Oh, we're all busy, um, but more to say, well, you know, I'm actually struggling with anxiety, or you know, um, you know, I'm losing a bit of sleep at the moment. I'm really struggling with that. Yeah. Or, you know, that, that it has to start with being vulnerable yourself, um, and that's the only way that others then feel that permission. I think, isn't it? Yeah, so, yeah. I agree. Yeah, I did a whole episode on this idea of slowing down, and um, with Kit Hendon, if people are interested, about two years ago now, mm. and we had half an hour talking about being too busy or are you too busy and the thing i find interesting when you start unpacking if people are willing to actually talk and then you find okay you're really really busy but and then it's oh yeah i was i was binge watching this tv show you know like and i'm thinking busy is different isn't it like you know but that's the ultimate gift is we've got everyone has 24 hours in a day whether you're bill gates or you're the man right. walking on the road. You know, yeah. each of us have that gift of time, and how yeah. are we going to use it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. And then confronting the the things that make it hard for us to not make the best use of it. Mm. You know, 24 hours, and you can go, well, I need to sleep for eight and whatever, and fill up the other 16. Mm. Well, why why do I spend four or five or six hours binge watching? Like, what's mm. why am I doing that? Because mm. it's it, it it's not necessarily just a laziness. It could be, you know. I'd, Flip, I just need to escape. Mm-hmm. Well, what are you gonna? What are you escaping from here? Mm-hmm. Um, that makes you need to do that, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. Yeah. And if people are interested in finding out more, do you ever run sort of introductory yeah. sort of sessions or or talks, or or is the website the best place? Yeah, the website's the best place to do it. We 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 do the introduction things in person. So mm-hmm. if you go through our website, you can uh, just contact us through there, and we just arrange a time to see you one on one. We want we want people who have, who who are coming in for the right reasons because mm. that's what we believe will sustain them mm. in making you know an, an intentional choice mm. um, to help a young person yeah, yeah that's mm. really great well we've got people listening from across new zealand but also australia mm. america the uk like all yeah. over so yeah. um, if people are interested i presume there will be these local sort of chapters that that they you know because yeah. we're here in christchurch but there might be someone in um Auckland or yep. Wellington or whatever, yep. so they can find the local. It's all it's all on the, yep. the Big Brothers Big Sisters website, and certainly, I mean, it's huge in the huge in the states. It's not in the UK, but it's right. across about I think about twenty odd countries around the world. Okay, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Mm. Well, thank you so much for coming in, because as a cricket fan, there's cricket happening right now <laughs> as we're right. talking, right? So you're actually sacrificing to be here. Oh, well, <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't a good start for the uh, Black Cats? So wasn't probably, it okay. probably not worth watching. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh well, no, but no, I do appreciate it. And particularly, I love hearing your story from the beginning. And thank you for being vulnerable and sharing about your own teenage years, because I can see where that then led you into what you studied, led you into your work, and also this idea of mentoring and Mm. the valuable role that adults and, you know, it can play for young people. So I think Mm. people will be really interested in it. So thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Stephen. Appreciate it.
Well, I do hope you enjoyed that conversation with Matthew. I know for me, there were several things that stood out, in particular, his talking about mentoring and the role that it had played in his own life, and now how he's been able to transform that to be able to help others as well. And also, I loved the way that we talked about mentoring, not just being for young people, that maybe it's important to reach out and find mentors for you, no matter what stage of life you're at. If you enjoyed this, then consider leaving a rating and review, subscribe, and tell others about the podcast as well. Until next time.